0: Regular listeners will have heard me rant about the low barrier to entry for buyers agents, the lack of education required to become a property advisor and the unregulated nature of the real estate industry in general. How bad is it exactly? I mean,
1: what are the risks to consumers? Why do our governments seem not to care? Welcome to the elephant in the room. This is the podcast where we love to talk about the big things in property that never usually get talked about. I'm Veronica Morgan, real estate agent, buyers agent, co-host of Foxtel's Location, Location, Location Australia and author of Auction Ready.
2: And I'm Chris Bates, mortgage broker. Before we get started, I need to let you know that nothing we say on here can be taken as personal advice. We always recommend you engage the services of a professional.
1: Don't forget that you can access the transcript for this episode on the website as well as download our free full or forecaster report, which experts can you trust to get it right? The, the au.
0: Today we're taking a look at the dangers inherent in the great Australian dream of wealth building through property. What happens when you have an eager population to invest in real estate and an industry equally eager to divest them of their money in the process, often with little or no qualifications or evidence that their particular strategy will work? Sounds like a recipe for disaster. And joining me in this discussion today is the property professor himself, Peter Kalizos. Peter has been teaching in real estate and investment for over 25 years and is currently the Program Director of the Master of Property at Adelaide University. He's also the Chair of PIPA, the Property Investment Professionals Association of Australia. He is a champion for education, regulation, and accountability in the property space. What rare words indeed to hear. Uh, welcome, Peter. I'm looking forward to this chat.
2: Thank you, Veronica. Thank you for the invitation. And I too am looking forward to this chat, (laughs) an opportunity to to vent my anger at the, as you say, the load barrier to entry to so-called property professional positions. Yes,
0: so-called. Let's start off with a couple of definitions. How do you define property advice?
2: Property advice is somebody that is giving advice on investing in a property, so you're talking about so if we're talking investment it's returns and risk so we're talking about potential rent potential capital growth Um, ideally you're going into more depth and you're looking at the person's uh whole outlook for retirement or wealth creation and you and you're trying to get property to fit into that yeah, so it's really giving advi- it's giving advice on investing in property. Okay. So for, you know, people looking to buy somebody's home is a is a different story because buying a home there are a lot of emotional decisions to be made, whereas investment should only be about the
0: numbers. Ah, but it isn't. Although I'd argue that it should be about emotional as well, but that's perhaps a topic for another day. So what is the difference? And and so okay. I've got another question for you on, I guess, definitions. But firstly, everybody's got an opinion in this country. So how does it differ what some smart ass at the barbecue, you know, who's bought one property and thinks they've done really well out of it will advise, versus somebody who's supposedly making a career out of property advice?
2: Well, number one, it's getting paid for it. So somebody tells you something at a barbecue or the taxi driver gives you a tip, they're not getting paid for that advice. Um... But if somebody, if you are paying somebody to tell you what they think about a particular property or property in general, then that's advice. One of the big problems I have is with not only an advisor getting paid by their client, but they're also getting paid by say the property developer. So they're getting an incentive from the property developer to sell their new stuff and unbeknownst to the client, they're also paying them the fee.
0: Yeah. And this is where lines get very, very blurred. It's one of my bugbears mm. is is other professionals stepping outside their lane. You find mortgage brokers doing that, financial planners doing that, accountants doing that as well, which is that sort of, that once again, it's probably another topic. But I think another thing that, that I would want to get into the definition at the outset of this chat is what's the difference between a property investment advisor and a buyer's agent?
2: Okay. That's a very good point. So... A property investment advisor generally will dig deeper into the person's wealth creation goals, wealth creation strategies, and it's more more than just buying the property. So a buyer's agent might buy property for a person based on some criteria. Whereas if you're a property investment advisor, you should be looking deeper into what those criteria are, because maybe you know, for example, maybe the person wants to ret- they want you to buy an apartment for them, but when you speak to them, they actually want to create wealth for retirement, which means they're looking for capital growth. Well, buying an apartment is not going to create capital growth. So, hopefully, an advisor would be able to tell the difference. Whereas, if you told a buyer's agent, "I want you to buy me an apartment in this particular suburb, and this is my uh, price guide," then you know, go ahead and buy. So really an advisor needs a deeper understanding of property and investment.
0: It is a good distinction that actually because often what buyers agents do is they don't actually critically assess what their client is telling them they want like you say it's they don't necessarily say oh is that really going to help you in the long term it's like you want one of those sure I'll go and find you one of those although I will argue with you in some cases apartments can be very good for growth but however the vast majority aren't and you know once again it's about understanding the difference right so what qualifications, then, are needed for someone to become a property investment advisor?
2: What qualifications are compulsory? Zero. Mm. None.
0: Yeah. Okay, let that sink in a bit. It's mortifying. <laughs> mm.
2: Let that sink in a bit, please. Yes.
0: So, I just want to clarify this as well, okay? Are you saying that, okay, a buyer's agent needs a license? Right. Or if they're operating <laughs> under a uh, licensed agent, they'll have a certificate, depending on which jurisdiction. But, you know, in New South Wales, you'll have a, a certificate of registration is the starting point, and then you can work under a licensed agent. And in order to run a business, you have to actually be a licensee in charge, and that's another, another level of qualification. I still argue that's not enough, but anyway... Um, Are you saying that a property investment advisor who effectively needs to know more than a standard buyer's agent in many ways in in certain aspects here, but they don't actually even need a license?
2: Absolutely correct. You don't even need to have, You know, my understanding is there are some places in the country where you can get a so-called real estate license in five days, Mm. you don't even need that. Anyone can call themselves a property investment advisor but only a select few can call themselves a qualified property investment advisor. So you mentioned before that I'm the chair of PIPA. We do offer a course uh, which which gives you the title of qualified property investment advisor. Now it's not legislated, you don't need one of those. You don't need one of those to give property investment advice. But what, and we're on a big uh, consumer awareness campaign at the moment actually. What we're trying to encourage consumers to do is when you're speaking to a property investment advisor, Ask, are they a qualified property investment advisor? Or at the very least, what other qualifications do they have? Have you studied finance? Have you studied investment? Have you studied property? What gives you the right to, to collect $10,000, dollars $30,000 from me and give me property investment advice? Why should I trust you and why should I trust your judgment?
0: It's actually horrifying. <laughs> horrifying. <laughs>
2: oh, it is. I mean, that's why—that's the main reason I became a member of Pippa. because mm. I thought it was a—it was a, a very bad state of affairs that you need all the qualifications under the sun to give financial advice, but you need nothing to give property advice. And most of the time, the property is worth more than the financial advice, because financial advice includes getting an insurance policy. Mm. Well, you know, to get a twenty or thirty thousand dollars insurance policy, you still. A, you still sorry to advise somebody to get that sort of insurance policy. They still need all of those qualifications. Mm. But somebody who's trying to sell you a million dollar property
0: needs nothing. And this is this is a distinction too. And this is where it's so murky because you just use the word sell. Someone is trying to sell you a million dollar property, and unfortunately, <laughs> you know this is where we go into this whole area of property educators and spruikers Um, And they are basically, they're a marketing machine, a sales arm of, you know, whatever it is, whether it's a conglomeration, developers, a developer, you you know, whoever. These people are not actually, like you say, qualified. (laughs) I mean, look, I I know it's rare for me to be speechless, but, and... (laughs) But I am and, and this is something I rail about all the time and yet it still renders me speechless and 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 mainly because consumers are really cast completely to their own devices and left to their own devices to go and try and work this stuff out. Because, you know, quite frankly, I didn't even know that a property investment advisor didn't need a licence until you just told me. Because I have a licence, you know, and I'm a qualified prof- uh, property investment advisor and I knew that was an additional qualification which I decided to get, I did not know myself that, qu- that okay. advisors didn't need a license. So I'm actually, that's why I'm rendered specialist because it's actually worse than well, I thought. I, I'll tell
2: you why, Veronica. Because property is not considered a financial product under legislation. Mm. If it was, then yes. I mean, to give advice on a, a real estate investment trust or the old days we used to call them property trusts, you need a financial advisor's qualifications, but to give advice on direct property, you do not need any education, no license, no nothing.
0: Now, is this aligned with the idea, you know, that that prevails in every jurisdiction here, really, of caveat emptor, you know, buy beware? The, uh, the assumption is that individuals are able to make decisions for themselves as to what they require, and so therefore, there's no need for regulation.
2: Well, look, we, uh, we went to Canberra a couple of years ago. We sat around the table with other property people. I mean, it wasn't, wasn't about property investment advice, but the idea was that we were, as, as a body, we were, we were having input into what the government wanted to do. But whilst we were there, we also had a chat to the minister in charge of this area. Now that changes. Sometimes it's the minister for housing, sometimes it's the assistant treasurer, sometimes it's the minister for finance. And you get those people on board, but the problem is, you know, are you down the track it's somebody else in their position? Mm. And then you've got to start again. And the bottom line is, this is not going to win votes. Because what the government have said to us, all right, if you reckon this is a big problem, you go and find people that have suffered great losses, and if you can find enough of them and it's obviously going to be winning votes, we're into it. But most people won't tell you of their own free will that they were sucked in by a spruiker mm. and lost money. but. We know when we speak to people, uh, you know, and, and and it's a private conversation; they don't want it to go any further. You know that these poor people have been sucked in. Mm. Or in the early days when I was interested in property, I'd go along to these so-called education seminars, and they were free, except that right at the end they put you under pressure and say, "Look, it in the next thirty minutes you can buy this property at half price." <laughs> well, that's not an education seminar, <laughs> is
0: it? I know, and this yeah. and and. Look, they, they throw a lot of money at NLP and, and various persuasive techniques to actually get mm. people sitting in there and, yeah, 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 okay, I don't want to miss out. Then and FOMO and social proof and it's all the elephants running rampi- you know rampage. Yeah. So uh, this, this is a – it is mortifying because the reality is that, as you say, when you talk to people, it isn't hard to find examples of people who have lost money in property. It actually is not difficult. And – you know i put every now and then i'm on some facebook page or whatever and i start one of my rants and anyway it sometimes they go well sometimes they don't quite often people will volunteer to me their experience of where they have gone along one of these seminars one of these organizations that that you know help them create wealth supposedly and they ended up holding you know holding really poor assets often selling them and and, um you know losing money or opportunity cost as well and and this is the thing people go and buy property for their wealth creation with all good faith you know they're wanting to put their roots down and and basically secure their financial future and and it's not until sort of 10 years or so have gone down the track until they find out whether or not what they decided to do was actually a good thing or not and there's very little in the way of um track records and the misuse of data. There's a, a episode I recorded with Kent Lardner, data specialist, of, you know, a couple of months back, which talks about the misuse of data in the property space as well, you know, used to market rather than to actually to advise and inform. But so, okay, so basically anybody can become an advisor. Um, you know, if you're good at marketing, which most of these people are, you know, basically, then you're going to convince people en masse Then when they discover they've actually made a mistake in going along with this, they're not necessarily going to put their hand up and volunteer that because we do like to tell our good stories around the barbecue, not our sad stories. And governments don't have the will to do anything about it because they can't be convinced enough people are impacted by this. You're running a consumer awareness campaign, but it must be a bit like David and Goliath, really. I mean, at the end of the day, (laughs) there's money to be made by those unscrupulous operators where, you know... Taking more time to A educate yourself, B actually give good advice, um, you know, C build a reputation, all that sort of stuff, that, that's costly and doesn't have those immediate re- immediate um rewards. So I guess, you know, what is the answer? Is there an answer or do we just throw our hands up in the air and say, you know what, property is always gonna be shit in this country? <laughs>
2: um look, we ever since PIPA was came about, we've been you know, asking the government for regulation and legislation, but it just hasn't happened. Doesn't mean that we give up. We keep trying. But the other avenue that we are going down now is we're is our QPIA, which is a course that we've come up with. So you know, there's a, as you can imagine, there's a, a, a very highly qualified bunch of property professionals on the board, um, and we've and we've come up with a, a what we think is a very comprehensive course, in particular, giving property investment advice. What we are doing now is we're taking a baby step and we want to get that to become a accredited certificate four. So a a proper certificate four course with the assessments and tests and exams. I mean, we have those now, but you just do that really out of the goodness of your heart and to not only educate yourself, but to show your client that you have some sort of qualification. So our next step is uh, certificate four Um, my personal opinion, and this is not the opinion of the whole board or PIPA, my personal opinion is if you want to be a property investment advisor, then you should have the same qualifications as a financial investment advisor. And if that means you need an advanced diploma in something, or you need a degree, then so be it. You know, ideally what we want is an advisor that can advise on direct property and finance. You know, Mm -hmm. I'd love to be able to go, or for people to go to a person. And not only can they advise on what you should be doing with your superannuation, but they can also advise you on what you should be doing so far as buying direct property in your portfolio is concerned. I Wouldn't it be great if we had those sorts of people?
0: Absolutely agree with you. And and it's a real issue because, you know, certainly in my buyer's agents business, but also in Home Buyer Academy, we often recommend people go and talk to a financial planner because really and truly, trying to consider property on its own is it's yeah. it's like, I don't know, standing on your head with your hand tied behind your back, it's not actually fully functioning, you know, that your financial future in, involves a number of other things. If not just to consider insurance and superannuation apart from anything else, you know. And so finding, however, particularly and the ascent you know, young people when they're just starting out in life, finding a financial planner that is actually um able to give them good advice. And have it cost effective is really difficult because there's this onerous, uh, what they, what the financial planning, I'm not just speaking for them, but you know, there's a lot of claims that being, you know, high it's too highly regulated and therefore the costs associated with giving advice preclude a lot of people from being able to afford that advice. So there's a real problem in that as well. But hundred and also quite often I've had people come to me in my business and they said, Well, I went to a financial planner, but then when I wanted to talk about property, they said, Well, I'm sorry, it's not a financial product, so therefore I can't even discuss it with you. And that's actually ludicrous given that most people mm. property's gonna be their their most um, expensive asset that they buy so it, we have a real issue in this country um, so I guess, you know, have you got any thoughts on that sort of over-regulation you know, the, the pendulum Look. seems to be swinging too far in one direction with one set of professionals and, oh. and too far the other with others
2: Look, I um, oh, well, the, the fellow that I co-authored the Property Versus Shares book he's a financial planner and he's actually getting out of it because it is very highly regulated, I mean he's already got you know a university degree before he went into financial planning you know he's always updating himself with professional development but he's just saying that there is just too much red tape now and I think it comes from the Royal Commission that they had where you know the likes of say AMP didn't do the right thing by their clients And now because we had one group that wasn't doing the right thing, that's affected everybody because now there are new qualifications and regulations that everybody has to follow. Whether it's gone too far one side, I don't know. But I certainly do know, surely somebody that is advising you on buying an asset, and in this case, it's property, that's worth at least hundreds of thousands of dollars. Surely they need some sort of qualification, surely.
0: Oh yeah, 100%. So, I mean, there are property courses available at university. Obviously, you're there, you know, and and I think you started in TAFE, say, too, originally, correct?
2: I did. So I started at TAFE, and at TAFE, I was really teaching people. So it wasn't a typical TAFE course. It was teaching people how to make money from investing in property. Uh, but the last several years, I'm I'm at uni. So right now, I'm at uni, and I'm in charge of the Master of Property. But you can't you don't come and do the Master of Property if you want to give property investment advice. So the students that come and do my course. know they'll be able to tell you whether that large allotment of land in the CBD what its highest and best use is you know should you be putting apartments on it should you be building a shopping center should you be doing mixed use so there are no courses that I'm aware of either at TAFE or at uni that are focused on property investment advice there are plenty of property courses and many of them are property valuation focused but there are no courses that I'm aware of there where Uh, they are focused on property investment advice. And I understand why, because the government doesn't uh, regulate it or make it mandatory. You can go to university and many different universities and they'll have financial planning qualifications. Why? Because people have to do a financial planning qualification to be a financial planner. So there's obviously money in it for the universities. But if you don't need a qualification to be a property investment advisor, why write a course? Whether at uni, whether you're at TAFE, doesn't matter. So there's just not the demand for it. But as if the government were to make it mandatory, yeah, you'd see lots of those sorts of courses pop up. Yeah. <laughs> it,
0: yeah. So you took the words out of my. That was one of my questions, actually. Oh, <laughs> uh, sorry about that. For no, 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 no. It's absolutely fine. That's absolutely fine. But yeah, I mean, this is the thing. I was going to ask you, you know, what sort of property courses are available at tertiary level, and what do they qualify you for? And clearly, they they qualify you to, you know, be a, like you say, a valuer or d- a developer. Work for a large construction company. um, You know, they're doing feasibility studies and all these really valuable skills. But they're very, um, they're completely useless when it comes to assessing individual properties or or matching up, you know, an individual's long-term goals, with the type of property that's likely to get them there, and advising them on risks, etc., etc., etc. Now, I know that one, you know, a a particular area of focus for you is gentrification, and certainly. one of the very popular uh methods or or, what should we say that areas of um investment advice shall we say is around hotspotting right and that's where obviously people are trying to use data and various guises and work out pinpoint where's going to be the next up and coming area uh across the country now do you what do you think of hotspotting
2: You could call what I do hotspotting, but mine is long-term. Like If you ask me today what I think are the best suburbs to invest in in Australia, and then you ask me next year the same question, they'll probably be the same suburbs. <laughs> because I focus on areas, as you said, that are gentrifying, uh, and gentrification takes decades. Mm. And so I wrote a book uh, about uh, 13, 14 years ago on the best suburbs to invest in, And if I was to write that book again today, many of those suburbs that I wrote about 14 years ago would be in there again because they still have the underlying attributes. So they're still going through that gentrification process. They're still being renewed. So look, if people have done the research, you know, I I look at what other people are saying about the best places to invest in but if people have done the research understand the fundamentals of property and importantly what drives property and using that research and analysis have come up with some conclusions then that's great but if i see that you know they're picking suburbs and there's they're on the outskirts of the metropolitan area where there's lots of house and land packages selling well those people haven't really done any research and analysis you know they're probably just working for some developer and they're disguising their report um, as, you know, a a hotspotting report when it's really just marketing for the developer.
0: (laughs) It's along the lines of when the words growth corridor are used. Um, You know, this growth corridor usually means development corridor rather than actual capital growth corridor. So you know, in terms of, um, you know, a property investment professional. I mean, you're using the word loosely in a way because we're not professional. Professional, yes, that's
2: right. <laughs> you know?
0: yeah. And we're not a profession. Yeah. And this is something that no. uh, John Cunningham, you, you must know John, John Cunningham. So, oh, no. okay, so John Cunningham, oh, I've interviewed him a number of times and in fact, um, January, there's uh, an episode of with John around trust uh, in the property space. But John has been trying to spearhead uh, a, a program called the Pathway to Professionalism for real estate agents. And Fantastic. he's uh, started in New South Wales he was the REA uh, sorry the REI New South Wales president for a couple of years started in New South Wales joined the R.E.R.E.I.A. as their sort of coordinator of this went around the country found resistance in various pockets has now wound it back a little bit he's not giving up he's undeterred he's he's a he's a true ch- champion I think that you two should actually meet um, but I mean what a heart breaking, soul destroying program to try to get this out there and find so much resistance within the actual industry. Now, I'm sort of suspecting there's a fair amount of resistance for your message in the property investment advisor space as well. You know, I mean, what sort of resistance have you come up against?
2: Well, at the moment, we haven't come up against much because we're only asking people to go to a to do it at a certificate four level. And I know here in South Australia, if you want to sell real estate, you have to complete a certificate four. Mm. So it, it, it's, it's not a big deal so far as the level of difficulty is concerned. If you know we changed our direction and said that we wanted property investment advisors to have the same sort of qualifications as financial investment advisors, then I'm sure we would get plenty of resistance. Because what that means is you might you might be a property investment advisor now. But if you don't go off and get your higher qualification, then you can't operate anymore. So mm. your your livelihood is gone. So I'm sure there would be a lot more resistance if that was to
0: come in. Well, I know, anecdotally, there's been a number of older um, and you know longer in the tooth financial planners that actually exited the industry when they increased mm. their uh, qualification requirements, and it does bring a, a it does bring a problem right so and i look at the buyers agent space you know and i ranted about this and i'll keep ranting about it the fact that a buyers agent should have to do more to get their license than a sales agent because at the end of the day the sales agent is just helping somebody offload something that may or may not have been a good property for them whereas the buyers agent is actually identifying and helping them buy the thing and and i think the buyers agent should understand what you know that the the um how to advise on property as well, just quietly. I don't think we should be just order takers. But anyway, that's a sort of a side issue. Oh, I, I agree. I
2: agree. So,
0: the problem is, of course, you've got a hot market like we've had in Australia now, uh, at least the last eighteen months. Um, you know, stretching, surprising post post lockdown, post lockdown number one market. <laughs> You've got people that will turn on mass to to buyers agents as a res, as a way to get an edge. You know, like I I'm scrambling to try to afford and and get into this property market. I need an edge. I'm going to get a buyers agent, and so then they set themselves up. To being fed a whole bunch of you know typical sales bills from buyers agents. Oh yeah, I can get it for you for less money, and I'll find you all these off markets. is is very typical sales bill, and it sounds compelling, and and most buyers aren't educated enough to realise that that's not really the true value proposition of a good buyers agent, and so they fall for it, and then then they're none the wiser until years down the track when they go to sell. And the problem, of course, with raising the bar is that that then denies access to advice for the, you know, the lesser, um, the less uh, moneyed of us, those those that can't afford it. And so this is complicated, though, isn't it? Because you don't want to then leave all the people who can't afford good advice actually floundering and finding their own way, the hard way, and only those who can afford advice to get good advice. But at the same time, you don't want to allow this sort of situation to continue where we can all get advice all right, but even even it's <laughs> crap advice. I don't know. Do you often think about this stuff? <laughs>
2: well, I do, but I think if we're looking at it this way, Veronica, I mean, buying a house, it's going to cost you several hundred thousand dollars. So if you're going to spend, let's say, $2,000 on getting the right advice... Isn't that worth it? Mm. I mean, I know for many people, two thousand dollars is a lot of money, especially when you're not sure about the person's qualifications, the person's experience, the regulation in the industry. You've heard all of these, you know, bad stories about people being ripped off, and it's very hard to part with a couple of thousand dollars. Look, firstly, let me say, you know, I'm not in the business of giving property investment advice, so I'm not saying that, you know, we should be charging two thousand dollars because if you come to me, I'll charge you two thousand. and I'll make a fortune, I'm not saying that. But all I'm saying is, if you are buying such an expensive asset, you probably need to be prepared to pay a little bit more. Like to get a proper financial plan is going to cost you several thousand dollars, Mm. two thousand, three thousand, somewhere somewhere there. But in theory, the plan is setting you up for the rest of your life so that you can retire properly. Mm. Isn't that worth it? Look, I know what I'm saying is not going to appeal to many of your listeners, but if if you consider it that way, I think it's worthwhile advice. A few thousand dollars to buy the right property, which is worth hundreds of thousands of dollars, and that property should, should do well for you, whether it's rental return and or capital growth, so that helps you with your retirement plan I think look I think it's worth it but I understand it's very hard for people to part with that money and but the other option is you learn how to do it yourself (laughs) you are still gonna have to pay money to do a course so please don't just read stuff off the internet and think that's gospel or watch some YouTube videos on property and think that's gospel go off and do some reputable courses Like I said before, there's no property investment advice courses that I Mm. know of, but there's plenty of property courses. Yeah. So go off and do some property courses, understand the basics of property, work out what you want to do, so far as wealth creation is concerned, and try and marry the two.
0: Well, Let do it yourself. If funny you that want. you say that. I think most of our listeners to The Elephant in the Room actually are probably on board with paying for good advice and the need for good advice. You know, I know there are a lot of investment uh, podcasts and, and groups that they're full of DIYs and, and all these, well, you know, I, I, I'm trying to wean myself off of getting into these Facebook groups and actually making comments because obviously I got to a point where I, my head has, I think, been officially done in. Um, and that's the great thing about the the audience of the elephant in the room. the The thing is with, um, I guess my my question here is around the, the 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 availability of advice, the availability of good advice, and so therefore, if you're not going to do it yourself, that's or if you are going to do it yourself, like you say, go and get it, um, educated. That's why we created Home Buyer Academy. It's to actually teach people the right process and actually, the, you know, step by step so they don't get it in the wrong order and they actually know how to go through the whole thing. And then if A lot of our students actually end up engaging a buyer's agent at the end of it, but I tell you what, they make a much better decision on a buyer's agent after doing the course than they do without doing the course. And they would actually know more than some buyer's agents when they've done that course, which is really horrific. I'm sure they would. (laughs) Because you can go and get a real estate license and then operate as a buyer's agent with actually not, not knowing how to buy property because you don't actually learn that in most real estate mm-hmm. license courses. You know. I know the REI uh, New South Wales has a buyer's agent module um, to, that, to their license course, but you have to sort of know you wanna be a buyer's agent when you do the course in order to do the module, otherwise you're not gonna do it at all.
2: Look, when I was looking at property courses around the country, I could not find one property course where even one subject had the word investment in it or one subject had the word advice in it it's basically uh legal stuff sales and marketing yeah and trust accounting if you're going to run your own business there needs to be some stuff in there about trust accounting and some basic business uh know-how but nothing about investment nothing about advice not one course in the country
0: no and in fact there is a buyer's agent course out there that's not accredited but a lot of people do it in the absence of others other courses to do and then they come out and a lot of people have said to me look all I did was learn how to market I didn't actually learn how to do the job and and even that in itself is alarming because you come out being a good marketer you can convince people you can do the job and they don't know any better because they don't know what they don't know and then then you know so this is this is a it's, it's a problem that extends beyond the property investment advisors uh that's for sure now, Peter, have you got a, an example of a property dumbo for us? There should be loads in this, <laughs> just in this conversation. Yeah,
2: yeah, look, I mean, thankfully, they made this mistake before, they, we, uh, before we met. But that, that's a good outcome. So the, the dumbo is pro- probably a common one. These people bought an off-the-plan apartment. And, but the good news is, you know, we've been talking, they've, Decided to sell that apartment. So they they bought it for 515 They sold it just last week for 510 All right, they sold it for $5,000 less. They've had it for three years everywhere else in Australia has gone Mm -hmm. nuts But this apartment did not but because they have sold that apartment and there was a great opportunity cost there That's now allowed them to buy a much better investment property a character place on a good sized block of land close to the city. So they made a mistake, thankfully they've learned from that mistake and now they're moving on to bigger and better things.
0: That is a good story when they've nipped it in the bud and contained mm. that loss. Uh, ha-
2: but for many people's ego, Veronica, they wouldn't sell it. No. They say, oh no, we'll wait. We'll wait for it to come good. Yeah. Uh, and, w- and when we say come good, you mean for it to be worth more than what you paid mm. for it. Well, that might be another seven or eight years down the track. Imagine what else you could have done with that money mm. If you sold it, yes, take the loss, but then go and invest it in a better growth asset.
0: And this is the thing, that there's this age-old sort of um, argument about yield versus growth. And, uh, you know, I'd I'd be keen to know what your thoughts are there. How do you sort of explain the two elements and how they need to interact and, you know, I guess what is most important when it comes to property?
2: Okay, so my personal preference is for capital growth. I know my own personal portfolio. The reason I have a big smile on my face today compared to a few years ago is because my property portfolio is worth a lot more today than it was a few years ago. However, you know, I can't can people that buy positively geared property and they have lots of it, uh, and then in 20 or 30 years time when the mortgages are paid off, they get all of that uh, rent from all of those properties. You know, I, I I've done the numbers, but with, you know, with any sort of research, there is bias. Mm. But uh, and I understand that the rental yield, the the greater the y- rental yield, the better you look at uh, the better you look uh, so far as the banks mm. concerned. But the problem is, rents are discounted so much by the banks. You know, you're far better off trying to earn an extra ten thousand dollars in your job than you are trying to get an extra ten thousand dollars in rent because for the rent, the bank's only going to take seventy to eighty percent mm. of that. And then we've got vacancy rates Then we've got repairs and maintenance and blah, 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 but it, you know, if you've got a solid job and you get yourself a promotion or you might get yourself a second job um, with a, a reasonable sort of income, that looks far better to the bank. So to answer your original question, Veronica, I'm a big fan of capital growth, but I understand how positively geared property and focusing on rental return works.
0: Yeah, and I think that you know it's compelling, isn't it? You see money coming into the bank into your bank account, and also being able to go to go to the bank and say, "Look, I've got more income, etc., cetera, etc." Cetera. It sounds like a, and you see a lot of. Um Property investment plans, and I've seen them over the years. They go, "I get a good asset first, and then buy something for cash flow." And it's like, oh, god! And um, you know, there's very little discussion around the asset that actually is your borrowing capacity and what that does to that as well. Um, The other thing that I think is interesting, and it hasn't been—I just don't hear it talked about—is the fact that when you have capital growth, right? You've got this, you've got a tax liability, right? So, you know, one day if you sell, assuming you sell it in your lifetime, then you're going to have to pay capital gains on 50% of your gain. And depending on what tax bracket you're in and how much you made, you know, you could be spending up, paying up to what, 47 cents a dollar. But that's, so that's a liability that's sitting there that is owed to the government uh, over time. And yet I'm able to actually invest that liability. So I'm getting a return on money I effectively owe the government and the government isn't actually charging me for that. <laughs> I think that's pretty bloody good.
2: <laughs> that's good, whereas, yeah, it's a good point you make. So, yeah, for example, if you were to earn, let's say, round numbers, $100,000 in rent in one year, well, you've got to pay income mm. tax on that.
0: And it's not compounding. But if you make,
2: yeah, but if you make $100,000 in capital gain, then if you sell it, you'll only pay tax on half of it, right, so really half of your income tax, but you're only paying tax if you sell it, why don't you let it go for another year and another 100 or 110 and then another year and then you can worry about the tax later or let the kids worry about the tax later.
0: <laughs> Spoken like a true Greek man, that one. <laughs> <laughs> <That's right>. <laughs> <laughs> well, this has been a great chat. Thank you very much, Peter. Um, I did want to really sort of tackle this whole idea of lack of education, you know, in, in particularly the property advising space. It's, it really is mortifying and I think that it, it. hopefully anyone listening to this point is sobered by it and is going to be super careful in terms of your own due diligence when you're looking at, it, you know, engaging an advisor. And it is alarming that there's a lot of advisors out there operating and, and buyers agents too that have a qualification that actually know less than some of their clients or potentially. I mean, I, I actually don't think they would know less than their clients, but they certainly could know less than other people who have taken the time to educate themselves who are not professionals in the industry. And I think that whatever that can be the case, it's mortifying.
2: I agree. Look, I, I would encourage the listeners to at least go to the PIPA website, Property Investment Professionals of Australia, which is pipa.asn.au. Have a look there, number one, who's a member of PIPA, and if you're looking for property investment advice, who's got a qualified property investment advice uh, qualification, and at least that's a start. I mean, that's no Mm. guarantee, but there are no guarantees in the world. You know, there are rogue accountants, there are rogue financial planners, you know, there are rogues, unfortunately, in every industry. But we do ask that our members abide by a code of ethics, uh, we do ask that they have a regular uh, continuing professional development program. Um, so we, we're doing the best we can without you know, the uh, the stick of legislation enforced by the government. We, we do the best we can with trying to clean up the industry. Actually,
0: before you head off, I do want to ask you one more question. And that really is, how do you think that a consumer, a person who wants to actually um, engage a property investment professional or a buyers agent for that matter, what's how should they be... Framing their questions around looking for evidence that the person's methodologies actually work and
2: Well, ask them ask them. Can you show me properties that you've uh, bought for other people in the past and Then you know you can you the client can can go and do the homework So let's say they bought you know a a property in suburb a a property in suburb B a property in suburb C uh, three four years ago and then, uh, fi- uh, then you can work out what it's worth today. You know what they paid for it, work out what it's worth today. Compare that to what's happened to the suburb in general. And if all of those properties performed above average, that's one sign. I mean, it's no guarantee, it's one sign.
1: Mm.
2: But, you know, it's great if people have experience, but then what we're saying is don't go to a, a young person who's just finished their qualifications. So, um, <laughs> there was I think-
0: Sorry, there was one on LinkedIn I can't remember who I can't say who it was on the podcast anyway, but there was this there was this lovely little professionally cut brag video of this person had been actually being as operating as a buyer's agent for one year and it, it went on and on and on about the amount of property that he bought the amount of clients that he'd helped, the, his own personal property portfolio that he built that year, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. It was this sort of real, you know, scissor reel. And at the end of it, he says, Anne, I've only been doing this for 12 months. <laughs> It's just like Jesus Christ. <laughs> that he was actually proud of that. Proud of yeah. that?
2: Yeah. Oh my goodness,
0: mate. My yeah, it's sort of mate. beggars belief. But you know, and, and this is the I thing, am. this is someone who's very good at marketing. <laughs> As opposed to necess- we don't know that they're good. He might be brilliant, but we won't know for yeah, a look, few I, years. I,
2: I, a flashy website doesn't mean that they're fantastic. A great presence on social media doesn't mean it's fantastic. I'm yeah. old school. You know, I want to speak to the person. Ideally, face to face. I understand with COVID that can be an issue, but I want to. I want to speak with the person uh, and get a better understanding of who I'm investing all of my money. But more importantly, who are going to be yeah, mm. in, uh, encouraging me to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars. So I might, you know, I might give them, you know, two thousand, ten thousand, twelve thousand dollars to buy me a property or give me advice. That's one thing but then I've gotta spend hundreds of thousands of dollars to buy that Mm. particular property. I want to speak with them to make sure that I'm confident and comfortable with the advice that they're giving me.
0: Well, that's it. You're the one stuck with it at the end of it all. And and, yeah. and this is the danger okay. as well of, of looking to your friends for advice because they're all full mm. of confirmation bias for what they've already done. And so, of course, they're going to actually talk up whoever's helped them, you know, and that's fine too. But, you know, if they only did it last year, it might be a little early to tell if they did it five years ago. Maybe mm. there's a bit of evidence there. Peter, that's been so much fun, as usual. Uh, a nice spirit of conversation, appreciate that. Veronica,
2: thank you for the invitation once again. All no right,
0: see ya.
1: If you're looking to buy your dream home or an investment property in Sydney's inner west, eastern suburbs or North Shore, my team and I can help you buy without regrets. Reach out via my website, gooddeeds.com.au.
2: If you're looking to buy your first home, thinking of upgrading into a new one or purchasing an investment property anywhere in Australia, my team love to carefully guide you on this journey and most importantly get the finance right reach out via our website wealthful.com.au thanks for joining us we'd love to see you again
1: and remember don't be a dumbo